At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. How is the coronavirus pandemic affecting children? And when should parents be concerned? Coronavirus and kids, what you need to know on this episode of Baptist Health Talk. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners to another special edition podcast with a topic related to coronavirus and our COVID-19 pandemic. We've all been reading and hearing reports that increasing age appears to be the most significant risk factor towards a more symptomatic and more deadly course. While this is true, it might be perceived as COVID-19 is only being risky for older people. Concerns as parents and grandparents for our children's safety are often not met with information provided by news and other medical reports. For today's podcast, we will address COVID-19 in children and adolescents. What are similarities to adults with the disease and what are the differences? In addition, we will answer commonly asked questions regarding the do's and don'ts of making it through this pandemic in a safe and sane way as parents and grandparents. This is Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I am your Baptist Health Talk podcast host. And joining us today is Dr. Fernando Mendoza, Chief of Pediatrics, Medical Director of the Pediatric Emergency Room at Baptist Children's Hospital, Baptist Health South Florida. Thank you for taking time from your very busy schedule, Fernando. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank, thank you for having me. So lots, lots to unpack here. I think we should start by setting, um, um, level setting. Um, can kids get COVID-19? Is the coronavirus something that we should be uh, aware of and, and concerned about with regards to children? Well, the the short answer is yes. So kids can get coronavirus and kids have been getting coronavirus. And I think the big differentiator here is that it does affect kids a bit differently. And we're not seeing the severity of disease over the past few months uh, that we've seen with elder adults or even adults in general. So kids can get it. And it continues. Kids will continue to get it throughout this uh, pandemic. Are you are you seeing any numbers that you can relate? Is there any are kids getting tested um, in any situations uh, like adults would be? So you know, in the, in, the, in the pediatric emergency room, which is most likely area where we're going to test a, a kid, um, the kids are presenting, and when they have fever, they're screened at a situation at a, at a front triage area in most ERs, especially the Baptist Pediatric ER, and then we're, we're basically screening for fever. If fever or any kind of upper respiratory symptoms tend to be present, uh, we'll then uh, further evaluate them for, for testing. Um, most of the time, uh, the kids that get tested are going to come back negative. Actually, we have about a 95% negative test rate uh, at Baptist Children's Emergency Room, which is very consistent which is what's happening around our community in the South Florida region. So most of the time, even if the kids present with a fever or a cough or runny nose, which tends to be the typical symptoms uh, for kids, uh, they'll be negative. I mean, the vast majority of the time. That's t- uh, testing and, and a little bit less of a percentage, about half as much as what our, our testing percentage is for adults. I think the adults are running about 10, 12 percent. Uh, we're running about a little less than 5 percent for kids. Uh, what that means is is we think the kids are just uh, maybe not as, as, uh, as much a carrier state or are getting as infected as frequently as adults. And that's some emerging research that we're trying to really figure out still. Uh, we don't know why that is, uh, but there's some theories. So, so that's a kind of interesting concept. So are you seeing more parents bringing their kids to the ED with these symptoms that maybe COVID may not because they're afraid it's COVID? Or are they bringing their kids in because the kids are not feeling well and they just want them taken care of? Is the COVID fear driving them to bring their kids more early or more readily? 
or kind of keeping them away from, from coming in? You know, I don't have it. You know, exact numbers are tough to kind of parse out, but for, for the most part, uh, we've done a really good job as a community, as a, as a healthcare system, and as a, and as community leaders in healthcare to tell people if you know don't go to the ER unless you're really sick. And so we are seeing uh, a lot of concern by parents uh, of not going to the ER because they think that we're kind of overrun by COVID, which is not the case actually. Uh, and then you have a segment of, of of parents say, "Listen, I'm exposed, or my." My mom, so hence the, the kid's grandparent is positive. They just came back from the cruise or I'm a, I, I'm a frontline healthcare worker and I tested positive. I want to, I'm curious to see if my kid is, is positive. We'll get some of that testing and then we'll get the or request for testing. And in that, in that case, they, they will qualify. And then we get uh, the testing where my kid's, you know, really sick and they're having a high fever and they're having difficulty breathing. Uh, you know, the question in everybody's mind for the past couple of months is, is this COVID? What we have to remember is that Kids get fevers often, and that's pretty much the number one presenting complaint when it comes to the emergency room is a pediatric fever. So, you know, just because you have a fever doesn't mean you have COVID, but just because you don't have, uh, you know, COVID doesn't mean you have something else. So, we have to kind of weigh both weigh both the uh, the situations here. We have a lot of parents who are concerned, um, but we also have a lot of parents who are who are being very wary of seeking uh, seeking medical care right now. So let's unpack that a little bit again. We said we have a lot of, lot of things we're going we're gonna to go through here. Um, what would be the usual symptoms based on your experience and what's being written for a child with COVID? What would be the things that parents would have to look out for? And then the second question would be, if the child has that, are there ways for them to differentiate about versus other types of illnesses that kids can get to the point where when would you say, you know what, take them to the emergency room, we got to get them checked out versus calling a pediatrician? using, you know, a kind of care on demand uh, app. What, would, what are the symptoms that, let's start up, but what would be the symptoms you would look out for? Well, unfortunately, they're not that different from other respiratory and fever illnesses that kids get. That's the quandary, you know, and that's what we've been seeing with COVID. It presents typically, number one uh, sign is fever. Uh, close number two is, is, is cough or shortness of breath. Well, that's not very different from influenza or an asthma attack, or a pneumonia. So it's not that much of a differentiator. We can't say there's one symptom when we're seeing that's, that, man, that really means your kid has COVID. So, uh, you know, that, that kind of is, is confuses it. So you, you have parents who's like, well, is this COVID or not? And it's really, it's really this very much the same presenting symptoms as most of the other illnesses that affect kids around this time of year. Um, when well, you ask, I'm sorry, go ahead. When you ask, you know, what, what, how's a parent know whether they should go to care and demand, or to the pediatrician, or to the ER, I mean, parents pretty much know, and they gotta keep an eye on their kids. They know their kids, and their kids are definitely, if they're having a hard time breathing, if they're not acting like themselves, if it's not just a simple fever and a cough, and it seems to be a little bit more serious, that's certainly time to get additional care. Now, care and demand that, that Baptist has is a really good way of getting that initial screening, uh, but sometimes you gotta you know, have to have a physician listen to the lungs, you might need an x-ray, and you might need testing, so that's where you can go either to your pediatrician where they have sick visits, usually in the afternoons. Most pediatricians are, are blocking off morning, locally at least, are blocking off mornings for well child care. So all the babies get their vaccinations in the morning and then all the sick visits come in the afternoon. That's what they've been doing recently. Or the ER, which we're always set up for that kind of stuff. Have you had to admit any children um, with COVID-19 to Baptist Hospital? Well, Baptist Children's Hospital early on um, admitted a few patients with pneumonia. That was before the widespread testing. So we have some suspicions, although no confirmation of, of those patients. And they went home with no problem. Every single patient that we've had 
test positive at Baptist Children's Hospital has, has been discharged home. And basically nobody's been needed to be admitted or intubated or have a severe respiratory illness. So, um, and then, you know, soon afterwards, uh, we kind of consolidated our services and we helped uh, coordinate care with Nicholas Children's um, to, to send most of our patients over there should they be in admission. But really the, the bottom line is we haven't had very serious uh, respiratory illnesses in kids needing intubation. That's actually been kind of the trend across the region. I have colleagues uh, at, at the local pediatric emergency rooms all throughout um, Miami-Dade and Broward County, and we've all been kind of seeing the same thing. Not a lot of patients that are needing uh, a lot of acute care in terms of admission for, for this uh, for COVID. I was, I was a little apprehensive about asking that question since I didn't know the answer, but I'm reassured with your answer, so thank you for that. Yeah. Um, so, so if a child may have COVID-19 and, or, or just feels crummy and is brought to the emergency room, as you said, mostly they're going to be sent home. So let's talk a little bit about the consequence of that, specifically regarding you know, the, the child transmitting it elsewhere. So do you give specific recommendations for a child that may have tested positive to a family member, um, what they should do, shouldn't do, who they should contact? Let's talk about family members, elderly family members. Should they... Um, what are you telling about the positive patients? Then we'll talk about kids in general, about what they should be exposed, uh, what they should, who, who and what they should be exposed to. Right, right. Yeah. So certainly, you know, we don't know about the positives usually for about, you know, 24 to 48 hours, sometimes three days. So we certainly will tell the patients that we suspect a fever and we suspect that they may be COVID based on their history or, you know, even if they're infectious, we del- definitely tell them to quarantine and to wait for test results. So when they come back positive, uh, that's definitely an indication for them to stay away from those really vulnerable populations, including the grandparents or the parents who are have, have comorbidities, who are elderly, who have the underlying conditions like diabetes or you know congestive heart failure, or heart disease, or, or severe moderate severe asthma. So, and that may be hard in a family. You may have a family unit that's together, has been quarantining or being staying together, and you can't physically uh, stay away. So, obviously, engaging in really good hand hygiene. Uh, and physically separating in, in rooms or parts of the house is the most uh, the most most we can really can recommend. Now, we have you know there's been some studies coming out of China, which is where a lot of our research is coming from right now. Until we get more studies in the U.S., um, that kids tend not to be a big uh, index uh, for transmission in families, since they come out from outside from the older population. So, uh, and we don't know if that's because you know kids getting infected uh, don't you know, don't transmit it as easily or are not getting as infected as adults, um, which seems to be the case a little bit. Uh, but certainly general quarantine rules, especially if someone does not live in a household, limiting exposures is certainly recommended. Makes sense. Um, now let's switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, the general uh, uh, family unit, kids not necessarily related to being sick, but avoiding getting sick. Um, let's start talking about specific recommendations for, for play. Um, what are kind of things parents should feel comfortable letting their kids do and we would want to still avoid in our current stage of um, um, stay at home and social distancing. Can kids play with other kids down the block? Um, you know, what, what, what kind of recommendations would you give? Well, you know, we're, we're starting to find out uh, this issue of transmissibility. I mean, are kids vectors? And we talk about vector. Vector is, you know, someone that can get a disease and then carry it and transmit it to somebody else. So we're still trying to figure out what the level of transmissibility is in kids. And it doesn't seem to be as high as adults. And we think because kids, their attack rate, what they call the attack rate, which is kids getting infected, isn't as high as adults because uh, maybe they have other viruses that are competing for that space in the respiratory tract, whether it's a parainfluenza or an RSV or these other viruses that circulate anyways naturally in the community. Uh, maybe they have some partial immunity 
to existing coronaviruses, which are not the COVID-19, which are typical, about four main coronaviruses circulating in the population of kids uh, yearly. So maybe there's some kind of, uh, re, you know, some kind of uh, partial immunity that's, that's preventing kids from really being uh, super infectious. Um, but, you know, we know it's, we think it's probably less uh, than adults. So, you know, I've seen in, in, in my neighborhood and across, you know, the, the city, uh, you'll see parents staying far apart across the street, kind of socializing kids sometimes in the street, riding their bikes or playing ball with each other. How dangerous is that? We simply don't know. I mean, I think that you, you can assume that kids are not going to be as astute or aware of social distancing uh, and practices of hygiene as adults are. So let's talk about schools. I mean, we initially uh, you know, suspended schools right now, Miami-Dade County schools and Broward County uh, you know, schools and, any, and above in a tri-county area. They're out of school and they're not going to resume the school uh, for, this, for this semester because we just don't know the level of transmissibility in kids. So, I mean, kids could be this could be this basically this barrier against transmissibility. We may have to, we may go back to school in the fall um, because we know that the, the, the transmission rate is not as high. Uh, we simply don't know. What I would recommend is certainly if your kids interact with, uh, with your children, interact with other kids in the neighborhood. Number one, if they're symptomatic, definitely stay away. <laughs> number two, if there's any distanced interaction, that's important from a psychological perspective also for kids. I mean, kids being isolated in their household can have a detrimental effect. So if you're thinking, oh, I need to get my kids some social interaction, you know, a way to do that is do a sport or an activity maybe that you don't touch or get near somebody. I mean, having parallel play, which we have in kids, of course, riding bicycles, um, something where they could, you know, do something that they're not exchanging or touching the same thing. Those, those are kind of the things you can, um, uh, you can engage with. Even having kids who are doing art projects or crafts, but really staying at a distance, so they're comparing each other's progress, who can, having lemonade stands across the street, but not crossing the street. That's all fun ways for kids to interact without actually getting next to each other. Those are, those are great ideas. Should, should kids wear masks if they go out of the house? You know, the recommendation, yes. Yes, they, do, they should. That, that, that recommendation applies to kids over the age of two. Under the age of two, we don't, number one, it'd be pretty hard to get a toddler to keep a mask on. Uh, but number two, there's, there's uh, some concern about, you know, choking and, and, and the ability to breathe. So under two is not recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics or the CDC, but over two, yes. Remember, masks are there so that we don't transmit to somebody else who may be near us. So that's uh, where, where you can't have appropriate social distancing. Uh, masks are definitely uh, in, uh, in, in order for, for kids also. So that, that actually can segue into a, a different concept, which is, the psychological impact of, of COVID on, on kids, you, you alluded to it in terms of activities. So it's got to be scary for kids to be told they have to wear masks or you can't see your friends like you used to. Um, are, you, are you seeing or hearing of any kind of psychological impact? And, and maybe we could split it up to maybe elementary school children and adolescents because they're kind of different categories. What, what, are, what are you seeing or hearing and what would be our concerns Maybe again, what, what should parents look out for to determine if kids are starting to struggle a little bit with the psychological consequences regarding the fear and uncertainty? Right. Well, that's a great question. And, and you know, kids, especially let's talk about the younger kids. So younger kids, toddlers are probably less aware that, you know, they're, they're probably really just excited to be around mom and dad the whole time, you know, <laughs> if they're staying at home. Uh, but school-age children who are, really have, a uh, you know, first, second grade children, they really understand what's going on. They understand this corona thing that's going on. They're they're aware, they're, they're, they see there's some kind of danger somewhere. Um, and for the most part, you know, most of those kids are in, in distance learning right now also in online learning. So any, you know, kids really 
thrive on routines. And, and I think as parents, you know that, that, you know, having a kid go to bed at the same time every night, having them, you know, have their breakfast and their routines or exercise, that's really important for kids to so try to maintain as much of a routine as you can. That really gives a kid kind of that, that surrounding security that, you know, mom and dad and a family are, are really kind of looking out for me. And I know I can, I know what to expect. Uh, talking about it with kids at their level, that, you know, there's some really good resources out there. Uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics definitely has has some of that. You can, you know, you can Google that and, and go onto their website. Um, but talking to age appropriate about what coronavirus is, coronavirus is and how to stay safe and why we need to do this is really important. So I, I wouldn't avoid it in kids who have that intellectual capacity, which is going to be, at, you know, at the school age kids. Um, and and then. Uh, you know, exercise for sure is going to be very important. I mean, we have, a, we're very fortunate in South Florida, we have good weather, you know, it's really, it's a little warm out now, but you know, not too warm. So, you know, end of the day after school exercise, engaging as a family or even individually, that's, that's really important for the kids. Now, as you get older, the teens, kind of preteens and teens, you know, they depend so much on their social interactions to thrive and evolve as, you know, and, and they really, they really feed off that. Um, parents are having a little bit of a harder time now at probably, um, dealing with screen time. Uh, there's a lot of interactions happening on phones, on, on iPads and, 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 and tablets, uh, even on the, the video game platforms. I mean, those are ways for kids to interact. Um, sure. Kids can have zoom parties or FaceTime parties as a parent. You always like any, you know, anytime want to make sure you're, you're supervising those and keeping, you know, keeping abreast of what's happening on those uh, interactions. Uh, but that may not be a bad time to kind of allow, allow your uh, kids to, to have those interactions, those distance interactions in an appropriate manner on, you know, through technology. Limited, of course, but, you know, you don't want too much screen time. But that's, you know, kind of a, a case-by-case basis. So you mentioned about speaking to the kids on their level. You know, kids, I certainly know with my kids, certainly when they were younger, they'll know if you're lying to them. So there has to be, or there should be some level of honesty and speaking to their concerns as opposed to minimizing them. Is that? Yeah. And, and, you know, we're getting really caught up in having the news channels on, especially this, you know, incessant news cycle, be really careful what you have on the TV. It's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it can be pretty scary to a kid to hear all this dramatic music on the news channels and, you know, there's, you know, booming voices and it's an emergency and people dying. I mean, that really becomes a cross and kids will listen. So I would probably try to shut those down. Um, you get the parents get away from screen time, get off the screens and spend some time with your kids. Um, and that, I think that'll really help. The other thing is uh, adolescents. So there, we talked about the psychological impact. We are seeing a little bit of an uptick in anxiety. Um, certainly kids with already having underlying anxiety issues or mental health issues. Uh, this is not a, an ideal situation for them. Um, one of the main things you're going to see in kids as a determinant of how they're doing is their school performance. Number one, we've changed the way they learn. And that may not be really, some kids may adapt to it really well. And some kids may not take to it, but keeping an eye on school performance, you know, that's really important. Talk to their teachers. Teachers are going to be available for Zoom and for other kinds of, you know, uh, conferences. See how they're doing in school. Listen in if you can on what's happening on their online classes. But if your school performance starts to dip or they're really having a hard time engaging, that you know that, you know, that may be maybe a symptom of, of, you know, the general pressure and anxiety that that the coronavirus news and crisis kind of, you know, kind of lean on the kids. So, so similarly, if a parent starts noticing their kids, whether they be more withdrawn or more anxious or, or, or not doing well uh, in terms of coping, uh, something they should speak to their pediatrician about? Or would that be the, the, the first? 100%. Action? 100%, yeah. They, they should reach out to their pediatrician um, who can get, help them get, you know, kind of uh, the resources. to. And, and this is not a time to shy away from mental health professionals. 
Uh, a lot of this can happen, um, you know, by distance, but even in, in person with the appropriate kind of uh, uh, precautions, it's super appropriate to, to, to reach out to your pediatrician and the mental health resources. Uh, you know, sometimes, um, you know, these are kids who already have underlying, you know, anxiety issues or mental health issues, uh, learning disabilities maybe, or not. I mean, perfectly normally functioning kids who, this is a really stressful time. It's stressful for adults. And kids are going to pick up on mom and dad too. They, they know when mom and dad, especially if you have, you know, loss of income, loss, you know, loss of revenue in the family, um, jobs that are at risk, kids pick up on that. So, you know, this is not the time to, um, to kind of shy away from, from admitting that your kid needs some extra help from the pediatrician. And similarly for the parents and their coping mechanisms, the exercise, uh, keeping, don't, don't have the news cycle going 24 seven at home. Um, you know, I think those things are valid as well, which we've talked Absolutely. Um, people may have a tendency to hyper-focus on, on COVID-19 and the pandemic and ignore other things that they normally should be paying attention to. So what, what are the non-COVID-19, especially with kids being home more, summer coming up, any particular things that you want patient, uh, parents to, to keep in mind, even though it might not be specifically related to the coronavirus? Absolutely. That's a great point, Jonathan. I think one of the things we're, we're, we're starting to see a little bit more of a little earlier than usual are actually uh, submersion or drownings uh, in, in the ER. What's happening? You have mom and dad at home. There are more kids at home. They're not in daycare. They're not in preschool. And we're seeing kids wander off while mom or dad are doing you know, chores or at work or on, you know, and, and it's been very tragic. We've seen a couple of these already that are, that are um, a little bit of an uptick compared to last year. You know, having pools at home, um, kids are going to wander and, you know, you want to really be very, very careful with your water safety, with pool safety, uh, having alarms on those doors. So, you know, uh, those, you know, those sliding doors or French doors in the backyard to make sure you know when the kid goes out, keeping that pool fence up is even though toddlers can be pretty creative, um, the pool fence will help deter, not always prevent, but deter even, uh, taking a look at what you're doing at home and say, you know, what? I really should put a, a motion detector, um, pool alarm when they have those, you know, floating pool alarms sometimes. So, you know, when someone's in the pool, um, that's really important water safety and then poisonings. We have kids wandering around the house. Um, what are they taking in? I mean, they're, they're, they're hanging out. The kids are exploring. Maybe you're busy again at work or doing a chore. Um, and now they're not in childcare or daycare. Keep an eye for where you have those poisonous items. Uh, you know, one of those things that's really always very tragic is the, uh, uh, the, the detergent pods, when ingesting those, are very, very uh, dangerous. Anything under the sink, uh, kind of the normal daily stuff you do uh, for toddlers, but really aware that this time, you know, this time when you're home and you're busy with other things and the kids are home, that can be a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I think, I think the take-home point is don't get complacent. Don't let the routine um, create environments where it could be dangerous. Uh, especially with the pools, especially in South Florida with, you know, with so many pools in the backyard. I really want to emphasize that. Understood. Yeah. Um, final question I have, and then I'll, I'll, I'll ask you if you have any final um, thoughts you may want to, uh, to bring up. Uh, we alluded to it a little bit at the beginning. Um, speak a little bit, especially as uh, the medical director of the emergency room, the, the safety of bringing your child in or even the adult coming in in terms of exposure to COVID-19 to support if your child is ill, if you're feeling something, please don't ignore it and stay at home because you're afraid of uh, contamination. Um, can you talk a little bit about what, 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 what's been done at, them, at the facilities um, to, to prevent that cross-contamination? 
Yeah, I think it's it's a great point. Um, you know, first and foremost, our 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 priority is to keep our patients safe. You know, patient safety has always been number one. So, um, you know, I, I do want to emphasize that if your child does have a true emergency, uh, whether it's an asthma attack and belly pain, it could be appendicitis, any kind of injury, things that need to be seen by a doctor. Do not, I want parents to realize, do not be afraid that you're going to be walking into a hospital is going to be, you know, COVID on the walls and in the air and everywhere. It's not like that. I mean, actually, uh, we do have areas where we, we partition or we put a, we put a patient that we think are COVID suspected. Um, there's areas that get screened at. So we're, we have very safe areas, especially for kids. And again, most of our kids don't have COVID. So uh, everybody, when they walk in now, gets a mask. Um, every, every practitioner, every provider, every employee has a mask. Hand washing is the utmost important. There's a great amount of, of hygiene and, and disinfectant that's disinfection that goes on in the facility. Uh, and the truth of the matter is, is that you know we're seeing some kids come in with really chronic illnesses who aren't coming to the ER, and they're getting by the time they get those, they get they're really bad. Um, again, things like uh, severe asthma attacks, uh, belly pain that are really surgical in nature. Um, those are the things you don't want to avoid. So if you get a true emergency, you come to the ER. Uh, we have the right way of, of, of making sure that you have uh, the right protection for you and that we're protecting ourselves uh, also so that we're, you know, we're the, the hospital workers are not becoming infected with COVID and are, are being really safe. We have protective gear. We have protective practices. So, um, you know, that's, that's really important parents realize that. Thank, again, thanks for your expertise and your passion for, for safety and, and, and care, uh, Fernando. Uh, we talked about you know, statistically what's happening with children. We talked about transmissibility, um, psychological factors, um, resources that parents may have, specifically you know, with the pediatric, their pediatricians. Anything you want to add that maybe we, we missed for the listeners to, uh, to benefit? Well, you know, the, what we're seeing here in, in locally in, um, in South Florida is, is not, you know, it's, it's not unusual for what's happening across the country. I mean, pediatric ER visits and pediatrician visits have plummeted. Um, we're a little concerned to say we, the pediatric uh, ER and the pedi- pediatric community in general, we're worried that parents aren't getting their routine vaccines with, with uh, their pediatricians. And that could down the line, you know, six, eight months, a year from now could really you know, result in a bump in vaccine preventable diseases. If I had one thing to tell parents is, is make sure that especially your young kid, kids, keep them on that vaccination schedule. The last thing you want, should your kid get COVID, which, you know, obviously is very, very unlikely it's going to happen anyways, is to have influenza along with that or pertussis or measles or something else that's, you know, catastrophic. So those vaccine preventable diseases are really important to stay up with those, those vaccines with your pediatrician. Um, you know, and, and I think that the, you know, ultimately, you know, we all have to assess our own risk in terms of, you know, uh, you know, what, what we want to expose ourselves to in the community as, as, as now, you know, this, the timeliness of this podcast will reveal that we're, we're probably in the beginning stages of a recovery phase throughout the county and throughout the hospital system. Um, but just, you know, being aware, being safe, uh, not letting your guard down, but at the same time, uh, you know, doing those things that keep your kids healthy, keep them active, keep them engaged and take the opportunity that, you know, instead of us being on the screen, looking at the latest reports in the news, Put that phone down, put that tablet down, maybe shut the computer down a little bit early in the day and spend some time with your kids. It's not a bad time to do that. It's, it's actually an opportunity to do that. I, I, I agree with you. I, I, I keep giving the messages, let's be optimistic, but let's not get complacent. And I think uh, that will serve us well. Um, again, I thank you so much for your expertise, your time, your passion comes through in the conversation. 
uh, to our listeners, please, any, uh, any thoughts, any ideas, any topics for future consideration, please feel free to email at BaptistHealthTalk at BaptistHealth.net um, and stay safe and stay home. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at BaptistHealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.